I figured you'd enjoy an epic video more so than me reading that. Um, but I also realized from that video that all of Jesus' disciples were twins. Did y'all notice that? They all looked exactly the same. What are the chances? So, anyways. Um, so we're talking from the book of John after Easter Sunday in the, the times when, when Jesus reappeared to the disciples. Uh, and so today we're looking at John chapter 21. Uh, and it seems to be the something that John wanted to add in when he was finished writing the book. Uh, and the reason why I wanted to talk about this today is because A, hardly anybody ever talks about John chapter 21. Um, B, there's a reason that John put chapter 21 in there. And C, uh, as we've been looking at the, the different characters that were um, present after Jesus' resurrection, uh, we've looked at each of these people and kind of understood how we can sometimes be a little bit more like them and a little bit more similar to them than we think we could. Uh, when we read of the accounts of people in Scripture, especially the people uh, that followed Jesus after his resurrection, uh, we can very easily become a little bit critical of their actions, the way that they react. For us, as we read the whole picture, it's easy for us to look at their account and go, you literally walked with Jesus. You literally sat and talked and ate and, and, and spent the night and traveled with Jesus, and yet you can't recognize him. And for us, it's just absurd that these people would not be able to readily know him. And then, especially for us, we sit here and we think, somebody that traveled with Jesus is still struggling with following Jesus. That makes no sense. And if you're like me, you tend to say, you know, I don't, I don't know about a lot of people, but I'm fairly certain that if I saw Jesus do these things, I would be sold. I, I could handle it. I could understand it. I could do all those things. Um, and we looked at Thomas last week, and we talked about how he had gotten the unfair uh, label as being the doubter, the one who doubted. And whenever we think of Thomas, we're like, you big knucklehead. You know, you had Jesus in front of you. You saw all these things. You heard all these things. You had all these people give you an eyewitness, but yet you just couldn't understand it. And we saw that in reality, Thomas was a lot more like us than we were willing to admit sometimes. That sometimes even though we see Jesus, sometimes even though we see an account of Jesus, and we know for a fact that those are the things that Jesus said is going to happen, we have trouble following that. Well, today, as we look at Peter's character in this interaction with Jesus, uh, what we're going to see is perhaps another reason as to why maybe Thomas had so much trouble believing. And we're going to see as to maybe why this is the third time that Jesus' followers saw him and didn't readily recognize who he was. So we're going to look at Peter's story here, and we're going to see that these disciples, these ones that are kind of disconnected and, and pushed off into Christian folklore, uh, in reality, show us the purpose of the gospel, show us the person and the character of Jesus in regards to who we are, and then also shows us the purpose of the life that he calls us to. So in John chapter 21, uh, we see very quickly from the beginning that Peter and Simon and Andrew and some of the other, and Thomas and some of the other disciples uh, decided that they were going to go fishing. And at first, when you think about them going fishing, it's not really that big a deal, but the video did a really good job of illustrating for us the, the mood at the time. Jesus had already uh, revealed himself to his disciples. He had already shared with them the fact that he was uh, risen from the grave, that he had received a new body full of the physical and the divine natures that he had claimed to be as the Son of God. 
And for some reason, the disciples are sitting here and they're depressed. They're downtrodden. They're defeated. And Peter does the only thing he knows that he is going to do. He goes fishing. Now, it's not like you or I would go fishing where we have a stressful day at work, so we throw the fishing poles in the truck and we go sit on the side of the road. And the reality of it is we just don't want to be around people. But Peter returned to the life that he had before he followed Christ. And that is something that you and I need to understand and we need to pay attention to as we see this interaction between Peter and Jesus unfolding. But it says that he went to the boat, but yet they caught nothing all night. So seven of Jesus' twelve closest friends returned to what they had known before they followed Jesus. So at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, and he called to the disciples, even though they couldn't see who he was, and he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? That's probably something pretty normal at the time. If you've ever been fishing, somebody drives by, inevitably, somebody's going to ask, you catching anything? Are they biting? But in this case, it was probably somebody wanting to buy some fish. It happened all the time. And when you would respond, no, it made you look kind of silly. It made you look like you weren't good at your craft or what you were doing. So Peter and the other disciples had to respond, no, hadn't caught anything, been out here all night, hadn't caught anything. So Jesus said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. Now to anybody who has spent all night fishing in a boat, you understand that as the wind blows, the boat moves. So what was once one side of the boat has become the other side of the boat after about three minutes sitting in the boat. You understand what I'm saying? But for some reason, the words of this stranger standing on the bank made sense to them. So they threw their nets on the other side of the boat. And you know the story. that says they caught so many fish that they couldn't pull them in. So Peter does the only logical thing. Is he Apparently he was fishing in his underwear. That's a thing you did back then. I don't know. So apparently he puts his clothes on. He jumps off in the water and he swims to shore. Because waiting for the boat to get to shore on its own makes absolutely no sense in this circumstance. So do you see a little bit of how we're probably a little bit more like the disciples than you think we are? You ever done something in a moment of panic or in a moment of confusion or frustration, and then about 10 minutes later you're like, what were you doing? You see that? So I think John included every single detail of this interaction to help you and I understand that Jesus is not working with cosmic individuals here. Jesus is not working with classically trained and honed individuals who understand all the things of what they're working with, who have all answers and understand all the ways that God is moving in humanity. But Jesus is tasking ordinary people that become confused, that become frustrated, that become down in their faith, that become lost at times because they see everything that is around them. So they, Peter swims to the shore and the disciples finally row back about probably three minutes later. And I don't know if John was just being merciful on Peter. I bet the boat beat him back. I'm just saying. So anyways, they meet with Jesus on the shore. And Jesus tells them to bring some fish that they caught. So Simon Peter went aboard. He dragged the net to shore and there were 153 large fish. And yet the net hadn't torn. Again, if you want to think about the disciples as not being real people, as not having to experience the same things in life that you and I experience, as not having the same struggles in their faith that you and I experience, you have an example right here, 100% of a man. He had to let you know specifically how many fish he caught. 
You have to do that. That is an important detail. You didn't go fishing unless you have pictures and you can tell how many fish you caught. You know? So we know just through his writing style, just through what he is including, that these are real people. Flesh and blood. They are not set apart. They are not distant. They are not disconnected. And he even had to make sure that he brought over the fact that there was a charcoal fire because real men cook on charcoal. He wanted you to know these facts. Now, I know it sounds silly, but this is important for us to hear. Jesus is dealing with red-blooded human people. So even though they had seen the risen Christ, even though they had put their fingers in His side and they had seen the nail wounds in His hands and in His feet, when they thought about all the things that they were supposed to proclaim throughout the earth, They remembered that they were only human. They remembered that torture hurts. They remember that death is something that is a reality. But Jesus invites them to breakfast. And nobody there would dare ask him who he was. Now granted, these were humans, but they weren't necessarily just plain stupid. Not any normal person standing on the bank would tell you to throw your net on the other side of your boat and you'd end up hauling in some fish. If anything, they probably threw their net on the other side of the boat just to prove the guy wrong. They were so frustrated, they're like, whatever. We'll do whatever we got to do at this point. It doesn't matter. You ever done that, been fishing? You get so frustrated, you're like, I'll try anything. So you get your car battery and some electric... Don't do that, I'm just kidding. Um, So anyways, um, that's a story for another day. So Jesus invites them to breakfast. None of the disciples were willing to ask them, ask him who he was. And then we see this dialogue happen between Jesus and Peter. And we hear where Jesus asked Peter three different times, Simon, Simon Peter, Simon, son of whoever, do you love me? And we don't really understand why Jesus felt the need to ask him three times the same question. Has your mom ever done that? It's frustrating. Does she ever get a different answer when she does it? No. Do we see a different answer here from Peter? No. But this is where understanding the context and the original language comes in purpose. Because there's two different ways that Jesus asks Peter if he loves him. So the first time after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now the things of more than these is important in this situation Because Jesus has just realized that Peter has returned to the life that he once had. He returned to the things that he knew that were familiar, that were safe. To fishing, to being in a boat with other people doing manual labor. Where the things that you do have evidence of what has been attempted. They could tell if they had been successful because there were fish in the boat. They could tell if it had been a bad night because the boat was empty. Everything that he knew that he could measure, that he could understand, Jesus has just asked him, do you love me more than these? But not just the love of, like you and I would say, a general form of love, but he uses the word agape, meaning, are you committed to me, are you bound to me more than you are to these things? Are you bound to me 
knowing who I am, knowing that I have defeated death, knowing that the things that I have told you are going to come to pass are beginning to take place. Peter, do you love me more than you love the things of your former life? And Peter replies, Lord, you know I love you. But he doesn't use the same form of the word love. He doesn't use agape. But he uses the term phileo. Meaning a great affection. Phileo is the term that you and I would use when we talk about our regard for one another. We have a love for one another more so than just your regular stranger or person you would meet on the street. But it's not a soul-connecting love. It's not a life-giving, life-sacrificing, life-abandoning love. So Peter responds with a lesser or a different form of love. He said, Lord, you know I love you. Then Jesus charges him to feed his lambs. And then Jesus repeated the question again, Simon, son of God, or son of John, sorry, do you love me? Again, he uses that terminology of agape, that soul-binding, identifying love. And Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Again, in that lesser, personal, deep affection, love. So Jesus charges him, then take care of my sheep. You see, Peter here was not going to own up to something that he knew in his own heart was not who he was. He was not going to make a false claim before Jesus Christ that he loved him with all of his being because Peter knew in his heart who he was as an individual. Peter realized that he had gotten back on the boat because he didn't know what else to do. Peter realized that for him the boat was a safe place, that he could understand, that he could control for the most part, and that even if he couldn't control the outcome, he knew what would happen even if things had been different than what he had wanted. He knew that tomorrow would be another chance. And he knew that he could not sit here and tell Jesus that he loved him more than all these things so much that he would bind his soul to his and his life to his. But he also knew in his own heart that this was somebody that he loved deeply. So a third time, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? But this time he used that terminology of phileo. Peter, do you at least have a deep affection for me? Do you at least hear my words and find joy in your heart? Do you at least remember my teachings and something within you calls you to respond? And Peter knew that he had been caught. Not only did Jesus know the things within him that were affectionate, but Jesus also knew the things in him that weren't good enough. And so Peter became overwhelmed and he responded and he said, Lord, you know everything. He confessed to Jesus Christ, the Lord of creation, the Son of God who had been raised and redeemed from death. He said, you already know my heart because you are the Son of God. You know the things within me that desire you, but God, you also know the things within me that keep me from following you fully. You know the things within me 
that hold me back from the faith that you have called me to live. And he said, you know that I love you. You know that in my heart there is a deep, deep desire to be connected to you. That in my heart, with all things about me, I want to throw away all the sin and all the failure and all the shortcomings that have made it to where I am the person that I am now. You know, above all these things, that I love you. So Jesus charges him, then feed my sheep. You see, there was another interaction between Jesus and Peter, much like this, where Jesus would... Again, tell Peter that something would happen in his life that Peter just couldn't quite understand. As they sat here on the shore this day and Jesus had asked him three times, Peter had realized that all along, even though he heard the message, even though he knew the message, he didn't quite just understand what Jesus was saying. But I want us to go back to John chapter 13 real quick, verses 31 through 38. And as soon as Judas had left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment to love each other just as I have loved you. And you should love each other, and your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? To which Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I'm ready to die for you. But Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster even crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. So the third time that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Peter remembered that moment where he had confessed with his head before knowing and being sure in his heart that he would give his life for Jesus. And here, sitting on the bank this day, Jesus asks him, do you love me? And Peter had to admit to himself, Lord, I don't know if I love you enough that I would give my life for you. But I love you enough that I trust you. I love you enough that I want everything within me that is not of you to be done away with so that I can discover you and know you more fully. And then Jesus gives him a simple command. Then feed my sheep. Peter, if you love me enough that you want in your heart for everything that is holding you back from the person that God created you to be. If you want deep within you to do away with the things that you know are not of me and my kingdom, then feed my sheep. He says, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself, you went wherever you wanted to go, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you did not want to go. So when I was growing up and I'd read that passage, it would frustrate me because it made no sense why Jesus would put that right there. Why is he talking about Peter becoming an old person that can't go anywhere by himself? 
But as we have realized, and as the next following verse, if you were a 14-year-old and you would decide to read a little bit further than what you wanted to know about, you would discover that Jesus is telling Peter that although he was at a place where he didn't know what to do, and so he went back to the life that he knew beforehand, that if he would follow Jesus, that if he would trust him just enough with the deep affection that he had in his heart and be willing to own the fact that he had not yet understood or followed Christ in such a way that he was willing to give his life, but that if he would follow Christ by sharing the message of Jesus, by sharing the message of hope and redemption, by sharing the message of turning away and running from sin, that his life would grow and would become a life that ends up being remembered as one who gave himself for the sake of that message. That would turn from a love of deep affection to a love of defining who he was in his faith. So you will ask yourself, where do you and I fit in this story? As we see Peter's interaction. How many of you's life changed drastically the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ? I'm going to say probably not many of us in this room, huh? Some of our habits probably changed. Some of the things that we agreed to do with ourselves probably changed. But the reality of it is, is we probably didn't change our careers, our outcomes. Our life situation didn't get more dangerous because of the life that Christ called us to. And if we're going to be honest, we're probably a lot like Peter in that first interaction where we're willing to say that we would give our life if God called us to do it. But we see here where the very person that Jesus said he would build his church on would be the foundation by which the modern church would be laid on became so overwhelmed that he abandoned the Christ that he had seen risen from the dead standing before him and returned to the life that he knew. But here, after the third time, Jesus asks, me, asks him, Peter, son of Simon, do you love me? Then Peter had to tell himself in his own heart, Lord, you know everything. You know the deepest parts of who I am, even more so than I know myself. And you know that I love you. That I hear your words and I hear truth. That when you speak, I hear life. And you know desperately that I want to love you even more than that. And so Jesus said, feed my sheep. So you and I fit in this story on those words that Peter was tasked with three times. To feed his sheep. That the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about self-knowledge and self-preservation. It's not so that we can come to church and hear everything that we know we need to hear and hang on to it within ourselves in hopes that eventually one day we'll get it right. But it's to hear that call that Jesus gave Peter when he was not yet finished. To feed his sheep. To take the things that you do know. The things that you do understand. And share that with the world. To be the one who is willing to walk with somebody in their brokenness. To be the one that is willing to be 
the light of Christ in the midst of their sinful lives. To be the one who is willing to admit that while we have a great affection for Jesus Christ, we, don't, we aren't so quite devoted to Him that we would be willing to give our lives if that's what it came down to. And if we are willing to submit to Jesus Christ even on that level, if we are willing to share the faith that we have come to make the foundation of our lives, if it's nothing more than just saying, hey, I just want to tell you what Jesus Christ did for you today, or hey, I just want you to know that I'm doing this because of what Jesus did for me, and I'd love to tell you about it. Then just like Peter, Jesus is able to take our faith, to grow it, to multiply it in ways that we could never understand, to where one day when we are gone and we are no more on this earth, the way we lived our life will continue. That there will be somebody else saying, you know what, I know Jesus Christ because of that person. I know that I'm going to have a life in eternity because that person told me the story of Jesus. You know, I, I was at a point in my life where I was done, where I thought it was all over. But then this person came along and they showed me who Jesus was. Jesus restored Peter this day on the beach. And he waited till it was the perfect time for Peter to be able to admit to himself, Jesus, I love you, but I don't know if I love you with all that I am. And Jesus said, with that, I can do amazing things. So my challenge for you is this. It's easy to read the Bible and disconnect ourselves. It's easy to hear the stories of these disciples and say, man, they are amazing and awesome and wonderful people. I would give anything just to become like one of them one day in my faith. But that is never anywhere in Scripture what Jesus Christ tells us that we are to bring to Him. is a life that is perfect and has known all things. But we see here that Jesus says, just bring me what you have and trust me with what you got. So my challenge for you is this. You know the failures that you feel each and every day inside. You know the things within you that you know are less than what Jesus Christ has said they are to be. So if you have any love for Jesus whatsoever, if you believe with even the smallest bit that He died on the cross for you, then let that be the purpose of your life. Let that be the reason that you want to talk to people each day. And if you will give Jesus Christ even just the smallest bit of what you have to offer, then He will pour out on you way more than you could ever expect to receive. And at the end of your life, you will be able to look back and say that you did love Jesus with more than just a great affection. But He had become the defining of who you are and the character that you leave behind. Would you join me as I pray? Father God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, when our lives had been full of sin, when our hearts had been full of ignorance and not even known the own condition of our souls and our eternities, 
God, that you were bigger. That your love for us was bigger than our inability to understand you. God, we thank you for your disciples. Normal, everyday, regular people. No different than anybody else in this room. Not some great and amazing background and pedigree and some amazing, wonderful education that they were qualified to do the things that they ended up doing with their lives. But a simple confession that you are the Christ. That by you all things are given life. That you are the only true way to return to the Father. And even though they didn't understand, and even though they were scared, and even though they were just fragile human beings, they gave you what they had. And God, with that, you changed the world. So God, I ask as your people, as we sit here today, some of us in our heads are saying one thing, but yet we know in our hearts that that is not who we truly are. That the faith that we claim with our mouth is not the faith that we have in our hearts when life comes against us. That the hope that we claim when we are around other believers is not the hope that we feel in our hearts when we see our situation or the things going on in the world around us. But God, if we have any love for you whatsoever, God, that you would fill us with a joy in that. That you would fill us with a trust and a hope in that enough to place that before you. And to let you know that we want you to know our hearts. That we want you to see the parts of us that nobody else sees. And God, we want you to have that. Because we know that you alone are the one that redeems broken things. And God, we want our lives to matter for you so God fill us with a double portion of your grace fill us with a double portion of your humility and God give us a joy and an excitement to share the gospel message the only message of life and of hope God may we do all these things because of our love for Jesus Christ even though we don't have it all together and we are not perfect, your love is perfect. And let that be the power by which we live each day of our life. We pray all this in your precious and holy name. Amen.